Welcome to the clinical podcast series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. Today's episode is from the Primary Optometric Care Channel entitled Classification of Presbyopia by Severity. I'd like to thank our host, Mile Bruchik, and our topical editor and expert today, Dr. Chelsea Bradley. And now it's my pleasure to begin today's podcast. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the American Academy of Optometry Foundation podcast series. I'm Dr. Mila Brujic, and I have the great fortune of being joined with Dr. Chelsea Bradley. Dr. Bradley, give us a little bit of a background on yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I am an optometrist by training and have recently been uh, seeing patients direct care in private practice, as well as working part-time as an assistant professor at ICO in Chicago. Well, that's absolutely fantastic, Chelsea. So I think the topic that we're going to be talking about today is so apropos, especially to where your interests lead us. It's the classification of presbyopia by severity. And when we talk about that optometrist to optometrist, we think, well, that's such a basic topic. Why would we need that? But I think it is important kind of doing a deep dive into this article. It really was insightful to understand it. Tell us why you feel that this paper is important to optometry. You know, I totally agree with you. I think especially after reading the paper, it made me realize when we were in optometry school, they kind of generally classified things and said vaguely, you know, age, uh, level of VA and that sort of deal. Um, but this paper made me realize that the true studies that have been done on it have had some disagreement in uh, classification in certain numbers. So having one paper that finally classifies it and hopefully gets all of us on the same page in terms of severity of presbyopia can really help guide clinically uh, what's best to do for our patients. It is interesting, you know, before this paper, the way that I thought of presbyopia was exactly the way that you described it. You're an age and we have a certain kind of preconceived notion about what your birthday will equal in level of presbyopia. And we always translated it immediately into diopters, Um, but it's different the way that they describe it here. And give us a little bit more insight into that and how the article kind of does, peels the layers back a little bit and, 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 and how that makes us challenge the way that we think traditionally about presbyopia, what the OD kind of actually do with that information. Sure. So, you know, there are a few things that stand out to me here, at least how this paper made me think differently clinically about how I see my patients and think about presbyopia. You know, it did a good job of pointing out that there are many different factors that can affect presbyopia, such as age, uh, environment, ways that you measure in the chair, but it also points out, and what I think we often forget is that even within a certain age group, there's a huge variability in accommodative amplitude from individual to individual. So one of the main things I took away from this was When you're seeing a patient, you can have an idea based on age of what their ad power may be, but it's truly worth doing the actual clinical testing to measure what is going to give them the best functional near vision. I know, Chelsea, you're looking at me and you're saying there's no possible way this gentleman could be in clinical practice for 20 and a half years. And you can do the math very quickly and understand what my birthday is. Now, I'll be (laughs) proud to admit that I am not a presbyope yet. 
but I'm also not naive enough to know that it will actually happen to me at some point. One of the things that I thought was kind of interesting is how they scaled it. And I do think that that's important here in terms of the different severity levels of presbyopia. presbyopia. Tell us a little bit more a, a, about that. I agree. So they proposed a few things that you could classify presbyopia on, but decided that the level of ad power it takes to for a patient to achieve functional near vision in their environment is the most important uh, demographic to classify it by. And I kind of agree with that. I think that can make a lot of sense clinically to those of us who see patients. So in terms of classifying based on ad power between mild, moderate, and severe presbyopia, they suggested based on review of uh, many papers published in the past and also on their expert opinions that low presbyopia be classified as a plus 125 ad or below, moderate be plus two to plus 225, and severe being to greater than 225 ad needed to achieve functional vision. And I think classifying it in terms of the ad power is appropriate clinically as well. Yeah, I think that's so good because especially with a lot of the new technologies, we look at contact lens technologies and we look at um, presbyopia correcting drops. These are all things that we need to start thinking about those ranges a little bit more and not so much that uh, we're not going to get that extra quarter diopter of correction. And I think that's what people are really looking for, that functional vision as well, too. So is there something in the horizon that you think is important from what we're talking about here that's important for us clinically to be thinking about with this new kind of, I'm not going to say groundbreaking severity level classification, but it's in the paper now. It's, it's in the literature now. Now we have this. What can we kind of do with it moving forward? Sure. So I think, you know, as far as further research is concerned with treatments that are in the pipeline for presbyopia, having more determined levels of measure as outcomes in those studies can be very useful. And then those subsequent studies can be applied clinically as uh, results come out. As it is now with classification, I think that considering certain treatments versus others, depending on severity levels, can be useful clinically. Um, and also determining the level of severity can give you a lot of insight into your patient's environment and functionality in their own environment as it compares to where you would expect them to be based on their age. So, you know, if your 45-year-old needs a plus 250 ad, in order to achieve functional near vision, that can tell you a lot about their visual system and or their environment. Uh, or if you have a 70 year old who's squeaking by with a plus one and happy and healthy, that tells you a lot too and can tailor things to what your individual patient needs instead of just expecting you know, gross numbers that apply to everyone. Yeah, 45 equals this. 70-year-olds okay. equals this. Yeah, I love it, Chelsea. Yeah. Well, this has been insightful. I'm glad you got a chance to join me on this. And, and thank you for your time. Um, I know that you're taking time out of your valuable day to do this. So we really appreciate you being here, Chelsea. Oh, thank you for having me. I really had fun talking to you and appreciate uh, having me on. And thank you all for joining us. 
on this, this episode of the American Academy of Optometry Foundation podcast series. And a special thanks to Cooper Vision for their educational grant to make it all happen. Thank you.